Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. As a company, you tend to step into the mentor role. You know, every hero needs a mentor that helps them learn what they need to know to make it to the next stage, right? And so if companies would just adopt the mentor role, instead of thinking the story is about them or their products or, you know, them knowing better, the whole thing is we need to allow our buyers to discover for themselves the way, visualize themselves getting through the challenge It's really their story. We can't solve it for them, but we can give them the tools and the insights they need to do it. And they feel more powerful and confident the more they learn and the more tools they accumulate along this journey. And so that's what allows them to make that decision. Welcome back. I hope your week's been awesome so far. If you haven't listened yet to my recent conversations with Jeroen Courteau from Salesflare and with author of Marketing with Webinars, Tom Poland, then go check them out, but only after you've listened to today's conversation, of course. I'm really excited today to have on the InnovaBuzz podcast as my guest, Ardeth Alby, who's a B2B marketing strategist and CEO of Marketing Interactions, where she creates personas and persona-driven content marketing, as well as sales enablement strategies for her clients. Ardeth has written two books, Digital Relevance and E-Marketing Strategies for the Complex Sale. She's often found speaking at industry events, leading workshops, and on the lists of the top B2B industry experts to follow. She's also currently the Interim VP of Marketing at Modus. In our conversation today, Ardeth talked to me about connecting companies to their audiences in a human way. She described building buyer personas that are actionable, And we talked about the power of questions in conversation and listening to your customers. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Ardeth Elby. Hi, I'm your host Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz and I'm really excited today to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast from a place called Palm Desert in California, the USA, of course, Ardeth Albi, who's a B2B marketing strategist and CEO of Marketing Interactions. 
Welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast, Ardith. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Well, thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here. Matthew Sweezy, who was our guest on episode 396 of the Innova Buzz podcast, suggested that we have a conversation with you, Ardith, and introduced us. So a big hello to Matthew. Oh, thank him very much. He's one of my favorite people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we had a great conversation based on his marketing knowledge and his experience at Salesforce. Now, you've also written a couple of books, Digital Relevance and E-Marketing Strategies, and in our pre-discussion, you told me that there was a third one in the works, so I'm looking forward to learning more about that. The The thing that really interests me, though, is one of the one of the philosophies you have is making marketing human, which is pretty much our philosophy here as well. And you do a lot of work on building marketing strategies, starting off with personas and building stories around those personas and bringing that storytelling into your content marketing. So I'm really looking forward to digging into those topics today. Before we talk about all things marketing, though, and making it human, what's the impact you're making in the world? Oh, gee, go right to the big question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think I'm helping connect companies to their audiences better so that their products find a place to live and their audiences get the help they need to solve their problems. So that's what I hope I'm accomplishing anyway. Mm. Yeah, I really like the idea of, you know, the succinctness that you express that, but such a big, a big thing connecting companies to their audiences. Uh, why do you think people kind of forget that that is so important? I, I think it's an outcome of being inside the company so much. It's kind of, you know, that phrase that I hate, but I can't think of another one is drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, <laughs> and we all know why our products are great and wonderful and why everybody should have them. And we don't stop to think what people who don't have them, why should they care, right? Why should they change? Why should they even think about it? And so we tend to start too far down the road and we think we know a lot of things, but most of the time as marketers, we are not representative of our audience. So what appeals to us may not appeal to them. And we don't stop and think about, I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in where somebody said, well, I would never read that. So we're not writing a paper about it. And I'm thinking, but you're not who we're talking to. You know, the the audience we're talking to cares very much about this topic, you know? So I I think that's where we get hung up. Mm. So in your work, you then start off with, let's find out who, who is that audience. And, um, I I was always intrigued by this idea of building customer personas and, of course, there's a whole lot of classic ones out there from 10, 15, 20 years ago where people built these personas and said, well, what sort of house do you drive? How old are you? What's your family income? What's your relationship status? Which suburbs you live in and so on? And I thought, well, unless I'm a consumer brand, how does that really help me understand my customer? So I I did a lot of work to understand better what drives them and what values do they have and and you know, coming back to the question you asked earlier, why should they care? 
about what I've got to offer. So talk to us a little bit about why those traditional personas turn people off, why they get a bad rap, and, and what the difference is between a good persona and how, how that can help us as marketers. Yeah, well, the, the easy answer to that is it turns people off because they don't work. And you're absolutely right in your, the way you interpreted it. And, and for me, a B2B persona has to only include information that's actionable. Like you said, what can we do with the kind of car they drive or their marital status or where they live? It doesn't, you know, unless it's country-wise, so you're talking cultural differences, but, you know, all of those basic demographics used in consumer marketing don't work in B2B. And so it's really about what role do they play in the company? What are they responsible for? What problems are they solving? You know, how does the problem they're solving perhaps present differently because of the industry they're in or the company they're in, right? Because company size has an impact. Small company, somebody's wearing a lot of hats. Mm. Big company, somebody's more specialized. And you can't do personas by title, obviously, or you'd have 900 of them instead of, you know, you need to group things together by role and responsibility. But in all the research that's been done in, into B2B, what buyers are saying is, tell me something that helps me, you know, help me advance my thinking about solving this problem. And so I wrote a post recently that was about personalization and, and why we get it wrong. It's not about their shoe size, you know, or those demographic things, not about putting their first name in an email, you know, things like that. It's about understanding the context of where they are, considering the problem they're dealing with, and how are we going to help them solve it? How do we help them advance their thinking so they can move forward? And even more so now that buyers, B2B buyers specifically have said, we don't want to talk to salespeople. We want to educate ourselves. We're perfectly capable of all of this. And what they're doing when they're doing that is not understanding that they don't know what they don't know, which is why salespeople provide value or should be. And so what we've got to do is become advisors and mentors and helping them advance their thinking and build their confidence back so that they can actually move forward and justify their decision. So I don't know if you've looked at the statistics lately, but more deals are stalling and becoming no decision than are actually closing. And it's because of that. There's not enough confidence. They don't see enough differentiation between vendors. They, they can't justify the decision. They can't get everybody on board. And we need to be helping them do all of that. But the only way we can do it is if we truly understand them and the whole buying committee and how they work together so that we can help facilitate that. That's the purpose of personas. Hmm. Yeah, well, there's a lot there to unpack. One of the things you said that intrigued me was that in different B2B companies, so a large company, there would be very specific roles split up between different people and a smaller company, one individual might have a, a bunch of different roles. So if we do role specific personas then we kind of have to average that out and they're not as good as a result so how do we overcome that to the point where we understand how to speak to those people how to get their attention how to understand what their issues are and what context they're dealing with those particular issues in the right now in this time 
Yeah, well, the best way I've ever figured out how to do that is talk to your customers. And so one of the things I spend an inordinate amount of time doing with my clients is talking to their customers and having those conversations and carefully noting what phrases do they use? How do they describe the problem? How do they talk about who else is involved when they walk you through the process? What happened? Where did they hit obstacles? Where did they have to kind of go backwards again before they could go forward? Um, you know, how did the problem present to them? How do they describe it in their own words? Because quite frankly, a lot of the times when we describe the problem, we're using terminology that makes sense to us, but may not be the way they talk about it. And so, you know, you can be seen as irrelevant very simply because you're not speaking their language, if you will. And so, but I will talk to 25 or 30 customers representative of one persona to, in order to get enough insight to call it down and have a really solid composite sketch, if you will, based on the commonalities seen across all of them. Because we can't, in B2B marketing, we can't go one-to-one -one, um, very easily yet. And so we have to focus on the things that are present across the majority of our buyers, which we can use to engage them and move them mm. forward. But it's understanding, you know, we have this contrived thing we call the sales cycle, right? And, and we have it set up to where, oh, they're in awareness, they're in consideration, they're, in, you know, whatever you're calling your stages. Well, I haven't met a buyer yet that wakes up in the morning and says, today, I think I'm in the consideration stage, you know, <laughs> and so we have to start flipping around and looking at it from the buyer's perspective. The problem that marketers have is they think they know their buyers, but they've never spoken to them, most of them. I even have companies where it's a, a major skirmish to be allowed to speak to customers mm. in the marketing department because sales and customer success are like hands off, back up, no, yeah. you know, and so it, it's, and that makes things really difficult. And so I spend a lot of time working very hard to get salespeople on our side customer success people on our side to help them understand what value they're going to get from the personas that, that trickles down. Like salespeople are going to get more usable content for buyer engagement during the sales process and, you know, all kinds of things um, to try and help them get on board. And, and sometimes it helps because I'm an outsider considered in quotes an expert. So they might be willing to let me talk to their customers where they're mm -hmm. unwilling to let their marketers talk to them. But you know, sometimes it really is a battle to get to talk to customers and scheduling yeah. them is, is the other challenge. You know, it can be done quickly yeah. or it can take months. So Yeah, you've reminded me of a time in my corporate career where I was running a, a technical service department for pretty well half the world um, in terms of our geographical split. And um, I had, I was having these never ending battles with the sales department to say, you know, well, we're technical service. We provide basically the first line of service to our customers and we need to talk to them to find out what they need from us, what, how we can best help them. And there was always this, no, you can't talk to the customers. That's the sales department's responsibility. If, if you talk to customers, things will get out of control very quickly. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And I, I'm really interested to see what happens with the take up of revenue operations where marketing sales and customer success are, get combined together and operate as one functional team. So 
that could change a lot of things if that happens. Hmm. The other thing I, I really like about what you just said it is this idea of the sales cycle or the sales funnel. <laughs> you know, people are still using this term, the funnel, get people into your funnel. And <laughs> I kind of cringe every time I hear that. So I, I think, well, you know, we talk about leads, getting more leads in your funnel. I said, well, first of all, they're not leads, they're people and they don't go into a funnel. They're on a journey They're and everyone is at a different part of their journey. So this comes back to the idea of context. So I really like that you've um, uh, debunked that a little bit for us. Yeah, well, I think context is huge. And, and like you said, they don't consider themselves leads, you know, and, and it's all about completing the, the jobs that they have to get done in order to facilitate buying. And, you know, we look at it from a company perspective, like, okay, they've had, they've downloaded, you know, three pieces of content and they've attended a webinar. So now their scoring is high enough. Let's send them to sales. They should, sales should be able to get a meeting with them without paying attention really to what was the content that they viewed? How does that build together? If you look at the total content that they've either viewed or read or whatever, what does that tell you about where they are in their process? Does that really make a lead? Have they indicated anything that says, I'm ready to talk to somebody, I'm that far down the path? You know, instead we look at it with this arbitrary lead scoring thing, you know, well, they've visited the website five times, they've read four blogs, mm -hmm. downloaded two papers, attended a webinar, okay, they're an MQL, send them to sales. <laughs> well, that's the biggest bunch of BS I've, you know, I've ever seen and I, it doesn't work yeah. very well. <laughs> depending on yeah. the quality of your content and how your content's designed anyway, it's problematic. Hmm. Yes, so I hear you loud and clear on that. And, um, you know, there's so many tools. And in some ways, you know, the, the, there are good measures out there, and, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But the, the idea of this lead score that doesn't take into account the context or where they're at in in their journey and in the relationship that they have with with me as the the business um, representative is is um, for me uh, just a, a major disconnect. Yeah, and that's why we're having problems with this. <laughs> now let's transition into storytelling. So, assuming we've done all this work that you've described, we've got a a, a good understanding now of who our ideal customer is, what drives them, what their needs are, what their aspirations are. How do we transition that understanding then into a message that resonates with them? Where, you know, one, one of the experiences I had early on when I was starting to work with personas that were, you know, much more powerful um, was I had a meeting with a customer and we were having a conversation around the issue that they were having and how we thought we could help with that issue. And at the end of the meeting, the customer said to us, it's as if you are reading my mind. And I thought, wow, we must have, we must have, Got that really right because that that's kind of like we understood what what their needs were, 
And of course, that was a very positive experience and it went ahead. But how do we get that transition from having built an understanding of the dream customer's persona to building a message where they have that kind of response? Yeah, well, the best way that I've found to do this is when you're talking to your customers and doing your research and interviewing and all of that, if you really listen to them, you can figure out what questions came up for them every step of the way. So questions are really powerful things. One of the things I love about questions is they're actually the foundation of conversations, like the conversation you and I are having right now. You're asking me a question, I'm giving you an answer, you're feeding off something I say to you to ask me another question, and back and forth, you know, it's kind of the way people talk to each other. So if you can deduce the questions that they need to ask along the way in order to continue to make progress and advance towards purchasing, the questions tend to organize themselves. Like to give you a generic example, they're not going to say, what are my options for a solution to this problem until they've figured out that the problem's worth solving, right? And that they can solve it and that they've, you know, learned all the things they need to know about choosing the right solution and those kinds of things. So, you know, you go from the very beginning, like, why should I care to further down? How, what are my peers doing? Are they solving this problem to, you know, well, that sounds good. What are my choices? How should I evaluate these solutions? You know, but I'm going to get pushback from IT. So what do I need to know to talk to my IT person to, okay, that sounds good. Which vendors are the best for me to choose from should be in my selection set to then you get to, oh, wait a minute. What if, what if nobody will adopt this thing, right? What if it takes six months to implement instead of three? What if the total cost of ownership is ends up above my budget? You know, all of those different kinds of things. And so if you look at those questions, they almost organize themselves into, you know, until they get an answer to one, they can't move on to the next because it doesn't make sense to them, right? Their context hasn't shifted enough to allow them to ask the next question. So if you look at all those questions and then you say, okay, as our company, how do we answer each of those questions, given everything else we learned in building the personas and who these people are, what's the best answer to those questions? for the people asking them and you create your content strategy and story building that up with a focus on making your buyer the hero of the story hmm. right and helping them facilitate the change i mean buying is change management let's just be clear you know <laughs> that's really what it is and so especially with you know most of my clients are selling big complex solutions and so it's not a simple decision yeah, I love that quote, buying is change management. And um, I also, I'm a huge fan of the hero's journey and and um, Joseph Campbell's monomyth model. And I think, you know, we're all on on this journey of life and that's why that's so powerful. And I've taken that into our marketing strategy as this is a hero's journey, but I never realized that because buying is change management, that's why it works. So you know you're confronted with a situation um there's a change 
about to happen, whether you're in control of the change or whether it's being imposed on you. And so that's the start of the hero's journey. And there's all kinds of options you can have there. You can resist the change. You can uh, jump in feet first and, and um, embrace the change. And, of course, you experience all that variation in behavior. Well, exactly. And, you know, as a company, you tend to step into the mentor role. You know, every hero needs a mentor that helps mm. them learn what they need to know to make it to the next stage. Right. And so if companies would just adopt the mentor role instead of thinking the story is about them or their products or, you know, them knowing better, the whole thing is we need to allow our buyers to discover for themselves the way, visualize themselves getting through the challenge. It's really their story. We can't solve it for them, but we can give them the tools and the insights they need to do it. And they feel more powerful and confident the more they learn and the more tools they accumulate along this journey. And so that's what allows them to make that decision. And so we need to build our stories like that and look at, you know, what happens, what can happen to stall deals, right? The reversals and how do you turn those around? And that's why it's really important to not only look at personas in isolation, like persona A is going to get, has these questions and is getting this story and persona B is getting these other questions answered, but A and B have to talk to each other. Hmm. What do they talk to each other about? Did you find out when you built your persona? So you can figure out how you do crossovers to help them talk to each other. Because if we're not helping facilitate that and they can't reach consensus, then it doesn't matter if we get A bought in, if B isn't bought in, you know. And so that's the, the big challenge. It's why I really love complex B2B marketing and sales, because there's so many dynamics. And I'm a storyteller at heart. I write fiction for fun. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Um, the yeah, there's something you said there that uh, again it sparked kind of a memory from my corporate career, and um, there was often you know we often had this approach, and and again this was the salespeople driving this because they controlled the interaction with the customers, but they you know they would say, well person A is on board with us, they like us, and they're our champion internally in that organisation, so we've got to win them over we've got to convince them that what we're offering is is of value person b is not in favor of us you know they're they're closer more closely aligned to one of our competitors perhaps uh, and so they they put all the focus on person a and and hoping that person a would then internally be able to convince person b and of course we had absolutely no control over that part of it um, and what you've just said there is that we really needed to be focused very much on bringing both of them on board mm -hmm. absolutely and sometimes it's six or eight of them not just two mm. so it becomes even exactly. more complex as it rolls out across more people hmm. all right now um before we started recording you were telling me that you know you had uh, a fascinating experience over the last year where you worked with Modus as their um, VP of marketing and you actually got to do a lot of the execution of, of these strategies that you, you're normally advising your clients on. So what, what kind of things did you take out of that experience? What were the learnings for you from that? Um, well, a lot of it was around systems. And so 
they had just, before I became their interim VP of marketing last year, they had just implemented Sixth Sense, which is intent data. And so I got to take over um, the implementation of Sixth Sense and figuring out how do we work with intent data? Um, what does it really mean? How do you use it appropriately? How do you create um, programs informed by it? Uh, and that was challenging because <clears throat> for the intent data vendors, it's kind of every time you try to probe too far, they're kind of like, well, that's our black box stuff. We can't tell you that, <laughs> you know, and so um, combining that an intent data platform with a marketing automation platform with Salesforce with sales loft, with Zoom info, with, you know, there's all these systems. And when you're working as a consultant, quite often, you're not working in any of those systems. In fact, I hadn't worked in them for 14 years since I became a consultant, other than here and there a little bit, you know, with clients, but I wasn't fully responsible for them. And so finding out, um, you know, that the theories and the personas and the strategies that I help my clients create can actually actually be executed through these systems, connect well together, and produce the outcomes that I always thought they could was um, really validating because quite often I create the personas and the strategy and then my contract is over and they go on to execute. The only reason I know that it works is because they come back to get more. So that's that's always validating as well. But it was fun to get into the trenches again and actually have hands on the system, see the data, see what happens when you send out a, you know, a program, send an email, post on social and see the data coming back and who's engaging where and how they're moving forward. And then to work closely with the sales team, um, you know, to see how things transition, how they interpret what you're doing in marketing. Boy, that was an eye opener. <laughs> and so, you know, trying to explain to them why marketing does things the way marketing does and and how it really helps them because there isn't a lot of understanding there or there wasn't in the company I was in. So, you know, that that was fascinating to me. Um, but it's the thing that was, I think, a little depressing is that marketing hasn't come as far as I think it should in the last 14 years or so. <laughs> so it's not all that much different from the last time I was in the trenches, which I yeah. think was kind of a surprise to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What, one of the things I, um, you know, I say this quite often that I think modern marketers, it, a, a lot of them abdicate responsibility for this understanding of their customers and for delivering a message that it's actually personalized that's actually makes marketing human to use the term uh, they abdicate that responsibility to the technology that we have and there's amazing technology out there where you can construct very complex sequences of things that happen whether it's email emails being sent out to people or whether it's tracking their behavior on um, on the social media and then having automated things happen as a result of what they do, but I think they abdicate that to the point where um, it just becomes so impersonal and certainly from the consumer part of it, that's, that's pretty much the majority of so-called marketing that happens. And um, so one of the things I'm curious about is what your take on that is and also 
the idea, I've started playing with this tool that um, is an AI tool to actually write content, help you write content. I'm finding it magical, but I'm using it in a way that um, probably is a little different than perhaps it might have been intended or perhaps a lot of people use it in, in that I don't then just take what it writes and send that to people or post that in my blog. Um, I then take I take that as inspiration for what I should be writing about and then use that um, as, as my starting point. What's your take on um, you know, using the technology and the tools that we have right now and, and how to combine that in a way that keeps this human connection in, in the marketing work that we do? Yeah, I think, I think the key word here, which you probably heard a lot from Matthew about, is context. Hmm. And, you know, data can tell you what somebody did, but it certainly cannot tell you why. And it can't tell you did what they um, did what they. Now I can't think of the right word. <laughs> did what <laughs> they do actually deliver the result that they wanted. Right. So, you know, imagine you type in a search term into Google, for example, and you get the results back. Did you get what you had in your head you were looking for or did you have to figure out how to retype the, the search query to get that back? You know. So somebody can can look at it and say, oh, look, she's searching on X. This is the problem I have with some of the intent data stuff. She's searching for X. So hmm. she must be really interested in X. But actually, I wanted X with a take on Y. You know, so I kept searching for different things until I got the right combination of words or my the question in my query to get the right result. And so... I think the challenge I have and the reason I believe that you can't ever automate marketing is because we don't yet have technology that can help us understand context mm. and was it whatever they did successful. And so, you know, it, it's like, well, they clicked on this, so let's automatically send them that. Well, wait, did they bounce when they went there or did they spend five minutes reading that article or whatever, you know, and, and that's mm. still not guaranteed. They could have walked away to get a cup of coffee, but you know, I mean, yeah. you have to think about it more reasonably than, you know, what would what would be their best next action given what you know? Well, funnily enough, I read a not funny, actually, but I, I read a report today where 11 percent of marketers say they trust their data. So think about mm. it this way. If we're going we're collecting all these tons and tons of data. If we can't use it, then what? Yeah. You know, so then what are we automating based on if we don't trust our data? And quite frankly, I'll tell you one of the things that I saw when I was interim VP last year was the amount of people that changed jobs or left jobs or got furloughed or whatever during COVID. So all of our data became questionable. Right. And we needed to update everything because so much was changing so quickly. And, you know, that was a little scary because you don't expect data to go mm. bad so quickly, you know. And so but it's challenging. And when you read something that says, OK, only 11 percent of marketers trust their data, it makes you want to step back and say, OK, wait a second. Then what are they basing all of this automation and tech on, right? How do they know they're anywhere near the next best action that could happen for someone? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, 
in I mean I think just sort of summarizing that a little bit it's it's kind of the data tells us the behavior but not the intent and and maybe that's why people feel that you know there's so little trust in the data and as you point out you know there's so many changes that have happened particularly as a result of the pandemic but i think change is just something that's that's around that we have to be cognizant on so of going forward and it brings us back to the idea of context what context are we operating in mm -hmm. yeah and and i think that's you know that right there gives us an even bigger reason for marketing and sales to work closely together because the big difference as far as i can see is that marketing doesn't have the luxury of one-on-one -on -one, right so we are marketing to you know large databases running programs that even if we get segmented we're still trying to talk to one uh, at least 100 people at a time or something right or, or even mm. 50. sales gets to go and get on the phone one-to-one and so one of the biggest boons that I found being VP of marketing was I had access to all the call recordings. And so I could sit and listen to those call recordings and keep up with what our buyers were saying, what our customers were saying, what questions they were asking. So it allowed me to continuously evolve our personas and our messaging and how we were going to market because I had those insights. And then the salespeople come and say, I just got asked X, do we have you know, how are we going to answer that question? Hmm. You know, and so they started to understand that I was giving them content that was really usable by their um, buyers, depending on where they were in the process and helping them make progress. And so it became this collaboration that was really important. And so you have to have this way, I believe, to mitigate the data, some way to validate it, some way to transition it into well, what does it mean? right? That context that's so elusive. And, um, you know, I, I just think that sales and marketing can really help each other with this, given our different avenues of engagement with the buyer. Mm, yeah, really good point. And, and, and speaking to them as people and um, getting their, um, their input, listening to what they say, that's, that's a really key part of that. And, and also being able to listen in on those conversations must have been really valuable for you as a kind of a third party without um, without the need to think about what am I going to say next. Mm -hmm. Oh, It was fascinating. It really was. And in fact, I uncovered some things that I started to question that I had believed true when I built the personas the first time. And it meant that the market had changed enough that perspectives had shifted a little bit. And mm. so I needed to go and update some of our messaging and, and a part of the story that we were telling. The answers we were giving to some of the questions had shifted because of the context in which the questions were getting asked, given the change. So um, it was fascinating to me. And you're right. I didn't have to think about what I was talking about. I could just sit and listen to them and take notes and listen to the words they use and the intonation of their voice when they said it, were they irritated, were they excited about it, were they, you know, bored with it, what, what, you know, and, and mm. so that helps, and you miss a lot of that nuance when you are involved in the conversation and you have to think about, okay, I'm going to ask this next or what have you, yeah. you know, or, or uh, follow up on this point they're making or whatever it is.
Mm, great. It's a, it's a fabulous tool, something to for everyone to consider, really. Mm-hmm. Well, this is fabulous. I just I could go on talking marketing and, and digging into these concepts a lot more with you, but I'm aware of the time. I want to be respectful of your time as well. So it's a good point, I think, now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round, and it's designed to help our audience who are primarily innovators and leaders in their field with some tips from your experience. So I have five questions. Hopefully you'll give us some insightful answers that'll inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result. I'll try. <laughs> What's What do you think the number one thing is anyone needs to do to be more innovative? I think you have to turn off your internal editor. <laughs> I think we stop ourselves thinking, oh, that's silly or nobody would do that. No, I'm not that crazy. You know, whatever it is, mm. I think we have to turn off that internal editor and just play with ideas. Mm. Yeah, I love it. And and we we're um we're wired to get in our own way aren't we (laughs) Mm -hmm. so just play with the ideas okay what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas the best thing i do to develop new ideas is get out of the office and get away from the computer so the Mm. when i'm sitting in front of a computer if i'm working on a story or a piece of content or something i want to keep putting stuff on the page you know if I get away from it and just go sit out on the patio or do something else um, and look at the view or whatever it is, the birds playing in the fountain, the ideas will just mull around in my head. And sometimes it's just I walk away and, and do normal things. And in the back of my head, things are going on. And nine o'clock that night, all of a sudden, I'll perk up and go, oh, that's the answer to this. You know, but I can't, you can't force it out. If you force it, then you end up with something contrived. You have to let it, you know, I, I think sometimes we just try to move at warp speed and solve everything quickly. And sometimes it's best to let it percolate. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I have notepads all over the house, you know, so that when these big ideas finally break through, I can write them down before I can get them or, or what have you. So, you know, yeah, but I yeah, just I have to that, walk away. I love that idea. I've, I've done the same. I put notepads in different places because the same thing happens to me. And it's fascinating to me. It's it In some ways, it's counterintuitive. But when you think about it, a lot of the uh, you know, ideas that you have or that the answer, I mean, we've got the answers to every question we ask. It's just they're buried in our unconscious. And and the ability to kind of switch off and get away and um, do normal things that allow those things to bubble up from the unconscious is is how that works in my mind. That's how I see it working anyway. Well, yeah, and the other thing that I do is I'll get on the phone with people like Matthew. Matthew and I do brainstorms a couple times a year where Mm. we just throw out crazy ideas and then throw ideas back and forth at each other and see what kind of sticks to the wall, if you will. And the interesting thing to me is he walks away from the conversation with things he's interested in, and I walk away with things I'm interested in that hadn't been present for me before. And so just the ability to engage with somebody that's not you and not your thinking and doesn't have your perspective going on or your context right then is extremely helpful. And some of it's crazy and doesn't come to anything. And some of it is is fascinating and has developed into concepts that I've 
incorporated into you know marketing strategy and whatever it's it's fascinating to me to do that as well mm, mm, love it okay um do you have a favorite resource you use most often favorite resource mm. there are so many i think search is probably my most used resource is <laughs> you know whenever i have some kind of a crazy idea i just want to get a feeling for what the answer, how people are answering a question or whatever. I'll just type it into Google and hmm. see what comes up. But it's it's given me new things to think about. Sometimes I get things that come back that I never would have thought of. You hmm. know, so it depends on how you ask the question, I guess. But for me, that's especially for somebody who's trying to constantly generate, you know, editorial calendars full of content based on these different questions and ideas that go with personas. Sometimes you just need to type in strange queries and see what <laughs> comes back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. I, sometimes I do that exercise just for the hell of it. And it, um, I'm always amazed, you know, we have essentially, we have this base of knowledge at our fingertips. I mean, you've got to be, you've got to filter it through, whatever filters you know you choose to use in terms you don't accept it as is because people can post anything so it's it's not necessarily gospel then right but um, oh, yeah you can't take it at face value yeah <laughs> you always have to but, but it just for me mostly i'm looking for just a, a way an angle of thinking or mm, you know some new way to approach something or what have you yeah. Um, something so. to prompt ideas it's it yeah it's an amazing resource all right now um what's the best way to keep a, a client on track when you're working with them and and you've built this strategy how do you keep them on track well i the easy answer is say set the right expectations but one of the things i do is i involve my clients in this whole process most of them sit in on the customer interview calls. They don't talk. They sit in the background. They listen, you know, and then we discuss them afterwards. Um, so they sit in on those calls and then, you know, they help work through how we're going to define the personas. And quite often, you know, what we find out when we talk to the people in product and the people in sales and the people in customer success before we start talking to customers is that the personas they thought they needed were not the ones they needed. And so, you know, and, and so things shift. So I try to involve them as much as I can in the process. And um, sometimes they don't have a lot of time, so I do it the most I can, but it helps them to actually be involved in it and they get bought in just like involving sales and customer success when you're trying to get to talk to customers, you know, but I find involving the client instead of, it's kind of like that if you teach a, a man to fish they learn how to you know feed themselves forever and if you give them fish they may eat but they can't feed themselves forever so it's kind of along those principles and i'm pretty much a teacher at heart i spend a lot of time doing workshops for global marketing teams to teach them all this stuff and it's fascinating to watch them get involved and see those light bulb moments where things happen for them and they think oh this is why we're supposed to know our customers you know as simple as that sounds but it's Mm. Also, I've got, I, I just finished up a, a class uh, last week and I got a number of emails from people thanking me and telling me what their big insight was, which was really nice. 
But mm. um, I just laughed at some of them because it's who would have thought, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, um, but it is, as you say, it is um, gratifying to know that you've you've made that difference. And also I, I like the idea of having the customer sit in on those conversations you have because that then gives them the ability to listen fully without well, you know the about what, what am I going to say next. Right. Well, and you know the difference it makes. Think about the fact that most marketers build per personas by getting the team in the room over pizza and lunch and say, okay, let's talk about our buyer. And they make up all this stuff about them that they think they know, and now they have a persona. Well, those personas never get used, right? They go in a drawer and they think, okay, check the box. We built the persona. Let's move on. You know, and when they listen in on calls, they hear all this stuff that they've never heard before. Hmm. And some things that they've never thought of before because they think they know their customers and they think that what they like is what their customers like. They really do. It's very interesting that things that, that are their aha moments about what's different, you know, hmm. but it saves me a lot of time having to do the tug of war, knock down, drag out battles about why I created the strategy the way I did, you know? Yeah. All right, that's great. Um, so, and what's the number one thing you think anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Oh, focus on a niche. What do you want to be the best in the world at? You know, so for me, it's personas, really even mm. over content strategy, but I also do social media work. You know, I write content. I serve as an editorial advisor for clients. I do a ton of other things, great email programs, you know, other than personas, and but they come to me because I'm good at, you know, one of the best at what I do. And then they say, oh, by the way, can you do this or can you mm. do that? So everybody who thinks they're limiting themselves by saying I specialize in X, stop doing that. Yeah. Specialize and be known for something, you know, mm. that you that you can be the best at and really focus on that. And they will come to you thinking that because you're good at this, you can do this other thing too. Because I, you know, I mean, I just had somebody ask me to bid a B2C project for a senior housing development because it's a complex sale. And they said, you, we know you're complex B2B, but this is complex B2C, so you should be able to do that, right? You know, mm. so, and actually it's interesting enough, I am, you know, mm. thinking about it. But, um, you know, so don't be afraid to specialize. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. And again, it's, it's one of those things that seems counterintuitive and yet uh, makes so much sense if... Um, you know, you're known for one thing and you're the expert in that and you've written a book on on that, then, as you say, there's there's so much spin-off. And, and we tend to think that we've limited ourselves, but it it's, comes back to this idea of listening to your customer as well because people will come to you and say, because you're good at this, I think, you know, this is kind of a natural spin-off. Uh, you should be good at that, so can we work with you on each one because we like you. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely well this has been absolutely fabulous Ardith I, I've really enjoyed our conversation now where can people find out more about you perhaps even reach out and say thanks for all that you've shared with us today yeah well my website is marketinginteractions.com and I'm on LinkedIn as Ardith Albee and I'm on Twitter as Ardith421 okay and we'll post all those links in the show notes. And you mentioned earlier also, um, before we started recording, you've in the process of starting a new book. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Oh, Jesus, just in the ideation stage. But the, <laughs> third, the third book is going to be a take on buyer driven experience. And mm. so, you know, what ha what is a buyer driven experience and how do you create them if you're not the one driving? So what does that look like for B2B? You know, as, be, as buyers become more self-reliant and how does how does that perpetuate the growth of revenue ops and revenue teams as an approach to a more seamless customer experience, as I call it, the customer continuum. Yeah, yeah, that's a fascinating topic. I really look forward to that. Yeah, me too. All right, do you have some? <laughs> Sorry? I said me too. <laughs> <laughs> do you have some parting advice for our listener today, Artis? Oh, I think just, you know, go forth and, and take risks, do something different. And it's that internal editor thing, just turn it off, you know. And <laughs> I, I strongly believe in that because otherwise I wouldn't have had the courage to do the things I've done. I wouldn't have been a consultant for the last 15 years, wouldn't have written books, wouldn't have, you know, done a lot of things. So having the courage to try is the biggest deal, I think. Hmm. That's a wonderful message. Thanks for that. Now, finally, who else should I have on this podcast and why? Oh, I have the perfect person for you. Do you know who Carla Johnson is? Oh, we've spoken with Carla Johnson. Yeah, but it's probably time we had her back on. Well, she just released a book called Rethink Innovation, and it's oh, fabulous. It is wonderful. very, very good. And um, she would be a great guest for you, I think, and for your audience. All right. Well, we'll speak to her about that. I wasn't up to date with that, but she published a new book, so we'll explore that. And uh Get in touch with her again and tell her that you suggested we bring her back on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is like her 10th book. She puts the rest of us mm. in shame. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's maybe that's why I can't keep up with this. She's writing <laughs> faster than I can keep up with the news that she's written another one. Yeah, well, this one has a really interesting framework that I think she'd enjoy sharing with your audience. Mm. All right. Well, thanks so much for that suggestion and thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights with us so generously today artists i've really learned a lot of you know there's been some aha moments for me even though um, a lot of the work you do aligns very closely with the the sort of work that we do and yet there's so many aha moments that i had today that i thought well that's why it works or um now that makes sense and i was reminded of experiences in my corporate world where i thought well if we had done that then Gee, that would have made such a difference. So thanks for um, sharing that, giving me those highlights, and I'm sure there's so much that our listener will learn from this today. All the best Thank for the future, and let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed that insightful and really engaging conversation with Aradith and took something away from her episode. One quote from Aradith that I really liked, it was an aha moment for me in our conversation, was her statement that buying is change management. I'm curious to know what you took away from Aradith's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Aradith Albi. That is A-R-D- a-T-H-A-L-B-E-E, -E. all lowercase, 
all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash rdithelby. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Ardith, as well as links to the Marketing Interactions website, her social media pages and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Now, if you like this episode, please do share it with two other people that it might help, or even more. Don't keep it to yourself, because we want to get this valuable information that Ardith shared with us today into the hands of as many people that it can help as possible. Tag me in on those shares and I will reach out to you with a special thank you. Ardith suggested that we have a conversation with Carla Johnson, author of Rethink on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. Carla previously appeared on episode 139 of the InnovaBuzz podcast quite some time ago now, so it will be great to catch up again and Rethink is her new book that she recently published. Carla, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast courtesy of Ardith Elby. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up including the fail coach, Miha Matlievsky, and cultivator of curiosity, Lauren Yee. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.